Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4. We'll start in verse 27 in just a minute. We're working through our series, The Master's Plan for Disciple Making. Today we're going to talk about issuing the challenge. We've said that God has given Jesus Christ this mandate, God the Father, to make disciples, and he's passed that on to us. Jesus Christ gave us that mandate that we're to go and make disciples of all nations. That is the force of the Great Commission. It's not just to win people. It's not just to baptize people, but it is to make disciples of people. And we, We're looking at how our church can be more intentional about that process. We've said that as we look through the Gospels that Jesus seemed to have several phases of his disciple making. There's the come and see phase. That's what we've been studying the last couple of weeks, a couple of months, two to four months of the life of the disciples as Jesus has invited them to watch what he's doing. And then there's a brief intermission that we're going to look at that was instituted in today's study. And then about right after that, the the come and follow me stage, which takes about 10 months or so. And then after that, Jesus called them to the come and be with me phase of disciple making. We're going to work our way through that. But right now, we're where Jesus issues the challenge We pick up the story in John chapter 4 right after Jesus has met with the Samaritan woman at the well. The Bible says in verse 27, just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told told the men, the men of her town, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? They're still thinking about food. Isn't that that interesting how they were? Somebody said they must have been Baptists. (laughs) Jesus was busy ministering to someone in need, leading a woman with a terrible past, to cry, to to faith in himself, and they're worried about food, and he's trying to get them away from that. I have food to eat you don't know about. They're still thinking about, did somebody bring him a sandwich? Jesus told them in verse uh, 35 now, don't you say, I'm sorry, I need to do verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is saying the thrust of of his life is to do the will of the Father. That's what it's all about. Jesus told them, don't you say there are still four more months, then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. When Jesus says listen, you need to listen, right? He tells those guys, listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields, for they are ready for the harvest. Let's just stop right there. That's all we're going to look at today. I believe that Jesus is giving his disciples one last reminder of what they're to be called to as he sends them off to contemplate and think through what he has talked about. We've challenged our church to be a disciple-making church. We've said a disciple is someone who is a learner, is a follower of Christ, a person who has made a lifelong commitment to the process of being conformed to the image of Christ. 
We've said it's not a question of how many people are at church, but the question is, what are they like? What are we like? Not just have we gotten a crowd, but have we gathered people who are fully committed, devoted followers of Christ? Someone said, the key is what the body of Christ is like when the lights go out and the doors are locked. That's where the church is in action, not just in these four walls. So let's look at these three last uh, challenges for us as Jesus challenged his disciples as he sent them off to spend some time thinking about what he'd said. Let's apply it to our lives. First truth, have open hearts to see the needs of people. If I'm going to be a disciple maker, if I'm to follow the model of Christ, I must have an open heart to see needs. Basically, Jesus illustrates, demonstrates by his life that they are to have a passion for people. A passion for people. Look at the story. His disciples show up in verse 27. They are amazed that he's talking with a woman. In that culture, men didn't talk with women in public. A rabbi definitely didn't. In that culture, a Jew did not go to a Samaritan, so you have Jesus crossing all these boundaries and barriers. He talks with a woman in public, in the open. The rabbi said you didn't even want to talk to your own wife in public. That's how rigid they were. Jesus breaks that barrier down. He goes and he talks to a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were seen as half-breeds, not even full-class citizens of of God's, God's family. So he's talking to a Samaritan. And then the Bible tells us about this woman who'd lived with several men. And she, the person she's living with now isn't even her husband. So she's a, a woman with a bad reputation. Jesus goes and he's compassionate about the needs of this woman. And the disciples show up and they're just wondering, what's up with that? What's up with that? Jesus wanted them to see that, he's care, that he cares about people. He cares about the needs of others. As we think about being a disciple-making church, we must be concerned about others and their needs. We've got to listen to the questions they're asking. Sometimes in the church, we answer questions people aren't asking. We're trying to answer questions that people were asking in 1950 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 90. People are asking different questions now. Jesus went, we talked about this before, he was flexible. He went right where she was, met her right at her point of need. The Bible says that woman uh, trusted Christ, went back to her, her, her family, told them, come see a man who's the Messiah. He's told me everything about my life. Jesus saw right into her life. He met her where she was. Did you know he met you where you were? Don't forget that. Sometimes we get a little bit impatient with people out there Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody you go to school with. Maybe it's, it's someone, you, a neighbor, and you've tried to share Christ with them, and they're just not getting it. Listen, Jesus was patient with you till you got it. Can you patient, be patient with them till they get it? We're, we don't have time to go back and read the whole story, but she tried to get back at the, at the well. She tried to get Jesus detoured and talk about, talk about tradition and religion and all that stuff. He kept bringing her back to who he was. He could have gotten impatient with her and said, I give up. He didn't. He waited on her to come to that point of understanding. He waited on you. He waited on me. I didn't come to know Christ until I was 18 years old. I was born into a Christian home. What a blessing. My parents took me to church when I was still in diapers, the cloth kind. I I was raised in the nursery at church, like we've got kids in there right now. I, I can remember the smell of the vanilla wafers. Every time I smell vanilla wafers and apple juice, I think about 
when I was a little kid. And then I grew up and I, I learned in the primary department. Remember those days? I, I had all these privileges and at every stage of my, Christian, of, my, of my parents' attempt to bring me up in a Christian home, I heard the gospel, but it wasn't until I was 18 years old that I trusted Christ. I'm so glad that God was patient with me. He could have said to me when I got in the fifth grade, Kevin, have you not figured it out yet? It is not about showing up at church. It's not about reciting memory verses. It's not about sword drills. It's about trusting me as personal Savior. Have you not gotten it yet, Kevin? I'm done with you. I'm moving on. He didn't do that, did he? He stayed with me and stayed with me and stayed with me through the teenage years and stayed with me through rebellion from my parents, and he waited on me. Folks, we've got to have open hearts toward people who need Christ. Somebody says, well, if they just wouldn't be so bad, you know, if they just didn't have that habit, you know why they have that habit? Because they don't have Jesus. I wish they wouldn't talk that way. How else do you expect them to talk? You know why lost people act that way? Because they're lost. By the way, lost is not my word. It's not a Baptist word. It's not a church word. It's, it's a biblical word. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Looking to find their way. Let's be patient with those people. You know, when you launch a new website, a lot of companies will launch a beta version of the website. And that beta version, basically, I don't know where beta came from, but beta version means it's a work in progress. It's not finished. It's still got some kinks in it. It's not perfect. And those people that put together those websites, those beta test sites, say this, this, this test site is a grace-expected website. When you come to use this website, since it's a beta version, it's a test version, you got to give us some grace because we haven't got it all figured out. We don't have it perfected yet. Give us some grace. When you encounter people outside of your fold of Christian folks, give them some grace. By the way, I think application as we're talking about disciple making, that applies to those of us who are trying to bring people along in the Christian life. They've come to know Christ as personal Savior. They've trusted him, and we need to give them some grace. How many times have I felt like I just need to sit down with a person and say, Get it together, buddy. But God has allowed me to see myself through the eyes of Christ of a, of a person who needed grace. And I've said, okay, God, this, this guy or this lady needs to see what they're doing and how it's hurting the cause of Christ. God, would your Holy Spirit convict them of their sin? And I'll be right there, and God does. By the way, he does a whole lot better job being the Holy Spirit than I can. Have open hearts towards people in need. Well, I read a story this week. I still can't believe it. But it was on the internet, so it has to be true. It's a story out of a Sacramento newspaper that last month they discovered a nursing home in Nevada. A psychi- I'm sorry, not a nursing home, a psychiatric hospital in Nevada that has been shipping their patients out on Greyhound buses to different parts of the country. In the last five years, according to this newspaper story, This psychiatric hospital in Las Vegas has transported more than 1,500 patients to other cities, sending one person to every state in the continental United States. Since 2000, in 2012 alone, this psychiatric hospital bussed out nearly 400 patients. You know what they do? They put them on a bus and send them off. They don't give them a place to live, money, a job, anything. They're just sending them away. Say, man, that's tragic. I, I still can't believe that. 
But sometimes we have that mentality with people that we're trying to reach. Well, if I could just put them on a bus and send them off. Those of you who've never had that thought, have never tried to disciple someone. have never tried to lead a person to Christ when they're immersed in a life of brokenness and sin. Sometimes you just want to say, is there a bus going to the next church? Because I'd like to put them on that one. Let that other church fix them. Have open hearts. Number two, have open eyes to see the opportunities. Open eyes to see the opportunities. Look at verse 35. Jesus gives them this picture of the harvest. Don't you say, there's still, don't, he lets them know you say this, there's still four months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields for they are ready for the harvest. Some translations say, ripe unto harvest. Jesus says, open your eyes and look at the opportunities. People out there are longing to know Christ. This generation we're living in now is a generation that is wicked and sinful and immoral, and you can put all those labels on our culture, but I tell you what, this is one of the the most hungry generations that we live in for people to know the answers. There's an openness out there in the millennial generation, those that have come up with my my kids' age and younger that, that are looking for answers. They're hungry. Jesus would say, Coastal Oaks Church, Church in in America, open your eyes and look. There are people out there that are hungry. You need to meet them where they are, listen, and begin to answer their questions. Open your eyes and see the opportunities. See, Jesus is about to send these men away. Bill Hull, in in Jesus Christ's Disciple Maker, suggested for a couple of months, Jesus leaves his disciples to go back home. And and you follow the, the narrative through Scripture and look at a harmony of the Gospels. And there is this period of time where it, the mention of, of uh, the disciples isn't there. It's just a mention of Jesus. And Holt says that during that time, he believes that those men went back to their homes to contemplate and think through what they'd been seeing in the life of Jesus. And I, I agree. Because we have later, we're going to pick it up next time, where Jesus calls them to drop their nets, these same guys, and follow him. That's the follow me stage. And right before he sends them off, he says, guys, I want you to look at, look at the people. Look at the need. It's great. So when you go home and you start throwing that fish net out, and you start thinking about, do I want to be a fisherman the rest of my life, or do I want to be a fisher of men? Remember the harvest that's out there. Whenever you're ready to give up, whenever you say, you know what, I'm... I, I don't think I can stay the stuff in this Christian life. Remember the harvest that's out there. My, my challenge is constantly for us to be fully devoted, obedient followers of Christ, to stay with the stuff, to be committed, to live godly lives. But I tell you what, there's another motivation in there. And the motivation is if we don't do it, people are going to die and go to hell without Christ. I, I don't want us to be godly church members so we can say we're a good, holy church. That'd be a good thing. That'd be a good thing to be said of a church, wouldn't it? But I want us to be godly, fully devoted church members and followers of Christ so that we can reach those people who need him. Open your eyes, Jesus says. Look at the opportunities out there. When I have been in tune with God's Holy Spirit and sensitive to those opportunities, God brings opportunities my way. And when I'm not sensitive, I miss those opportunities. I've used this analogy before, but it's just one of the best analogies for me. 
27 years ago when Kelly got pregnant with our first child, with Carissa, I started noticing everywhere we went, people were pregnant. I said, I've never seen so many pregnant women in my life. We go to the mall, there's pregnant women. Go to the grocery store, there's pregnant women. Go to school, where I went to seminary, pregnant women everywhere. And I thought, what's the deal? You know why I was noticing all the pregnant women? Because I was now married to one. And I was thinking about that. I don't think there were any more pregnant women in 1980. Ugh. Oh, man. 85. 85. Is that, what, would that make Carissa 27-ish? Anyway, back then. There weren't any more women that day than there are today, but I was just more sensitive to it because I was married to someone who's about to have a baby. You know how you're sensitive to lost people out there? You, you begin to have a, a brokenness. And you, you get a sense of what Christ has saved you from. I've prayed repeatedly, God, don't ever let me forget what it's like to be lost and without you. Don't let me forget what it was like to be a teenager. When I closed my eyes at night, I was afraid that I would die and go to hell. Don't let me forget that feeling. Open your eyes and look. I love a story Wes Robbins tells. He was one of our, our men who went to Pattaya, Thailand to serve, and we supported Wes while he was there. His ministry that he was helping was Southern Cross Ministry that distributes Bibles to the, to the Chinese tourists. Cindy Campbell's going to go over there and do the same thing through Light for Asia. You stand on a pier and Chinese tourists get off the boat and you hand them a Bible and they take it back to China. It's awesome ministry. Well, this group from Virginia, from Virginia had come to Southern Cross in Pattaya and they were, they were kind of disappointed that there weren't many tourists coming over. The governments and things that happened and, and the tourists were very few and far and few between, however you say it, few and far between. So they didn't hand out as many Bibles and they were a little bit discouraged about that. And the week was over and they were gathered at the warehouse where you assemble the Bible packets. So that's what you do there. You're either passing out Bibles or putting stuff together. So they were there talking about how they wish they'd given out more. They weren't, woe is me and mopey. They were really actually thanking God for the opportunity to give out what they could, but just a little bit disappointed that they didn't reach more people with the Bible. Right about then, uh, one of the workers comes in the front door and says, give me a box. I mean, a box of Bibles. He said, there's a Chinese tour bus broke down right outside the warehouse. And they jumped up and they took a box of Bibles and they gave a Bible to every, I think everyone but one of the Chinese tourists took a Bible on that bus. That's a pretty good track record there. See, here, here's, what, here's what God says in that story to me. Kevin, I've got people ready and willing to hear the truth. And if you can't figure it out, I'll bring them to your doorstep. If you can't figure it out, I'll have a bus breakdown full of them and you can share Christ with them. Eyes open to see the opportunities. Number three, have open minds to consider the cost. Have open minds to consider the cost. One of our ladies after the first service asked me, Pastor, you weren't talking about money there, were you? No, I wasn't, but that is involved ultimately. When I say consider the cost, I mean consider the commitment that's gonna need to be made to be a disciple-making church. Hold that place there and look back with me at Luke chapter 14. After Jesus tells them the full cost of following him, to be willing to deny everything, to take up our cross and follow him. Look at verse 28. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Jesus is giving this illustration to them. If you want to follow me, take, a, take time 
to consider what it's going to cost to follow me. I believe Hull's right when he says Jesus is sending those guys back home to take those two weeks to two months, whatever it was, to be able to consider the cost of what it means to follow Christ. I, want to get, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, but when we get to that passage and Jesus says, drop your nets, you know what they did? They dropped their nets. I believe it's because they had time to consider the cost, to understand what it would mean to follow him. Consider the cost. I want every, every person who comes to Christ that we bring to Christ in this church to consider the cost. What's it going to take? And I tell people, you're going to have to be willing to give him everything and let him be the boss of your life. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ? It means to the same. It means as God reveals more and more what, it, what it's going to be for you to follow him, you need to give him all. Count the cost. Eventually, we're going to be enlisting some small groups for discipleship in this church. And I don't want anybody to sign up just because it sounds like a good thing, it's the next neat study, or because the pastor says you ought to. I want us to count the cost. Bill Hull says Jesus made it easy for them to say no. He made it easy for them to have to say, you know what, I I don't think I'm in for this. We'll look at some of those accounts in the Bible where Jesus knew what it would take and people said no. That's okay. I want us to have open minds to consider the cost, the the commitment that we may need to make to be a disciple-making church. When I was 18, about the same time I came to know Christ, I met some guys at church and they said, hey, Kevin, we're going to rent a two-story house down here and we want you to come live with us and we're going to split the rent out four ways and it's going to be great and we'll flip a straw for who has to sleep in the living room and who gets the bedrooms and we, we had it all worked out so went to my parents and said, yeah, I'm moving out. And I thought they'd say, oh, Kevin, please, don't go. They said, great, go. Here you go. We'll give you some help. I said, why are you so eager to get me out of here? By then, I was a good kid, okay? They said, go on. So one of the guy's mothers said she wanted to talk to all of us because she had some important stuff to tell us. So I was ready. I, I knew his mom, Wade's mom was a church member, and she, she was pretty serious about following Christ. So I just knew she was going to read us the riot act. I was ready. So we stand in her living room. I can picture it right now. And, and, and she looks at me and she says, guys, this is the most important thing I want to tell you. And I'm ready. I think, do I need to sit down for this or what? Do I need to take notes? She said, promise me, okay, all right, that you will always wash the lettuce. <laughs> really? That's it? That's it. So I can do that. I can always wash the lettuce. That's all you want me to do? Piece of cake. Piece of salad, however that works. That's all to her, the commitment she wanted her son's roommates to have. Just wash the lettuce. I I don't want us to ever invite people to come to Christ and say, all you have to do is wash the lettuce. Just superficial commitment. It's easy. I want us to make it clear to people that following Christ will cost something. And I want to make it clear to us as a disciple-making church, for us to be disciple-makers, it will cost us something. John Oro spoke about 10 years ago at a Mennonite seminary. He was a pastor in Romania during the communist years, and he was sharing in, I think, a chapel message there, his experience. And 
He talked about how at the end of their services in Romania during the communist years, they would invite people to come to Christ like we do here. And people would often walk the aisle in their church and say, I want to give my life to Christ. And he would say to them, it's good that you want to become a Christian, but we would like to tell you that there's a price to be paid. Why don't you reconsider what you want to do? Because many things are going to happen to you and you can lose and you can lose big. Here's a pastor at the invitation of the church. This person walks down and the pastor says, why don't you go reconsider this and make sure you really mean it. I had a friend one time that walked an aisle and said, I believe God's called me to missions. The pastor said, well, are you a missionary right now? And she turned around and went back to her seat. <laughs> Count the cost. Oro says that many of those people, even after he told them, do you want to reconsider, said, yes, we're, we don't need to reconsider. We want to give our lives to Christ. And they take them through a three-month, what they call a catechism, a three-month training. And when that was all over, they would say to them, when you share your testimony, be ready, because there are people there taking your name. It's going to cost you. It may cost you your job. There will be problems tomorrow, they told those people who professed Christ. But Oros goes on to say, let me tell you the joy when I looked into their eyes. With tears in their eyes, they would tell us, if I lose everything but my personal relationship with my Lord Jesus, it is still worth it. Folks, there's some folks that counted the cost. What would happen if we had that level of commitment to say, Lord, I don't care what it costs me to follow you. As long as I have my relationship with you, I give it all up. That's what God's called us to do. Let's pray together.